Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And we are coming to you live from a couple of places on the internet. We're live on YouTube. We're live on Crowdcast. Coming to you later on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. It's all good. And we got to talk about something right off here. Justin, yeah. you are not just in Canada right now. No, You're doing this in front of a live audience, right? Yes. Yeah, I have a, there's one person. I'm up in Edmonton, Alberta, doing a uh, comedy festival with another show that I do called Characters Welcome. Uh, that's Eric on Characters Welcome. Boo, he says. Oh, wow. Um, Getting heckled. He is a heckler. I should have known that before I invited him into the audience portion of this. <laughs> um, but he's watching. We're here for uh, the week. We have a show later tonight because I'm on Mountain mm. Time and one tomorrow night. And it's lovely. It's a two show night for you. Yeah, it's huge. It's It's huge huge night for your guy. Uh, But also, I mean, it doesn't get dark here till like 11 p.m. So Hmm. it's my kind of place. I never sleep. It's also, though, a two show week for you, right? Uh, that's a great uh, point, Alex. Thank you for setting me up for a <laughs> sick-ass plug. Um, I worked on the show 101 Places to Party Before You Die on True TV that uh, premiered on Thursday at 10 p.m. It's airing on True TV nigh constantly in sort of a heavy rotation with Impractical Jokers. It's a super fun show. hosted by John Gabers and Adam Pally. You can definitely see me pop up in the opening credits. And then in further episodes, we have a new one every Thursday at 1030. Please check it out. Awesome. I watched, we talked about this a little bit at the top of the last week's show when you weren't here. Oh, what a big ops. There you go. But I saw the Denver episode, which is the premiere, which is great. Very fun. What, where are they going this week? Uh, Next up is Miami, which is very Mm. fun. Um, And that was the pilot. So uh, we shot this as part of the rest of the season. So it, um, it looks a little different. I I think it improves from there. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, We go out to dinner with Pally's family. Um, and they they cast a new John Gabrus, right? Like yeah, the John yeah, Gabrus yeah. from the pilot didn't make it to the second episode. Right. It's like um, uh, from uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Viv, uh, sort of rotate <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, we got a new Aunt Viv coming in. Uh, very sweet. Can't wait to see that. All right. I also can't wait to see our first guest or actually only guest tonight, uh, but a great guest. We're going to bring him into the stream now. He is the host of Planet Money on NPR. Yes. Kenny Malone, hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Now I want to just talk about partying in Miami. 
But oh uh, man, but what's your favorite spot? I like oranges. Well, I don't know. Oranges is good. You're not far off. There is a mangoes. Like mangoes oh, okay. is a place. And uh-huh. um, yeah. I mean, my fa- my favorite spot is uh, is called Mike's on the Venetia. And it's where like all the journalists used to go to drink when the Miami Herald oh, used to be right next to it. And it smells like fried food and uh, <laughs> old wood. Yeah, uh, it's great. Two, it's my cologne is fried food and old wood. It's very. I would good. buy. I will buy. <laughs> good to know. Easy to make. So let's talk about this project. This happened a little while ago, and if folks listen to Planet Money, they're probably familiar with it. But I'll give a shout out to anybody who's watching the live stream. You can see in the background you have a bunch of microface swag and comic books and T-shirts and beer, I want to say, maybe? Uh, it's soda. Soda. Uh, soda. Nice. Uh, that's not you... technically microface soda because we did miss out on the trademark for that. So oh, this is just okay. official Planet Money superhero soda. Uh, there's a whole story there. Um, you can hear it. Oh, yeah. That sounds a little nasty. But it, you it, did. It got, it got fizzy for sure. <laughs> you did this uh, awesome series on, uh, and obviously you can talk about it better, but on getting the license for a comic book character that essentially has lapsed. And then you worked it all the way into making a comic book physically with two good friends of the show, Jamal Eichel on art, Alex Segura on writing. You even had Jerry Ordway do the cover, which is incredible. Uh, And I'll tell you, I listened to that last episode earlier today. And I, I say this in the best sense because it's a really good episode of a podcast, but listening to you guys trying to figure out how to make a comic book, it was like yeah. listening to a horror show. Yeah, <laughs> it, it went badly. Um, uh, the parts that we were in charge of went badly. The parts that Jamal and uh, Alex and Jerry did were great. So, I mean, let me just give you a little background here. So th- this yeah. whole yeah, idea it, started it the This whole idea started with there was a, um, a Vanity Fair profile of like the rise of the MCU written by Joanna Robinson, one of my favorite podcasters in the entire yes. world. Love and, uh, and there was just like this throwaway line from, I think it was from Bob Iger. It was basically saying like, there's no end to this thing. Like now that we've acquired Marvel, uh, Bob Iger, the uh, then CEO of Disney, now that we've acquired Marvel, like there are some, there are like 7,000 characters now in the portfolio. And I read this and I was like, seven, they don't, they don't need all 7,000 of those characters. <laughs> yeah. Like, clearly, I wonder if they would sell us one. I mean, and it's convenient because our, our show Planet Money has a, has a tradition of sort of trying to understand complex worlds by just, like, jumping in. So we've bought barrels of oil to understand oil markets. We've uh, launched satellites to understand commercialization of space. And we're like, this is the perfect way to try and understand the IPification of the world. So we should try to get Marvel to sell us, like, their dumbest superhero. Um, so that was the mission. Uh, identify the dumbest superhero, uh, put a price tag on it, see if we could see if we could buy it. Um, you can hear that all in episode one, and that is where Alex Segura comes into this. Uh, no one at Marvel would talk to us or even consider our offer. Uh, <laughs> Alex was then at Archie and very kindly um, told us no in many ways. Yes, yes, yes. Shout out to Archie. There's Justin's got an Archie shirt there. So um, Alex is a friend of mine as well. So he he came in and, and yeah. gave us that nice like presidential uh, thank you, but no thank you. No one's ever going to sell you anything, um, which is what sent us um, uh, on the, and the, you know, the lesson there is something that I'm sure lots of your listeners will know, which is just that like, we now live in an era where like, no one knows what any of these characters are worth. There is a patina to an existing character that is impossible to recreate by just making a new character. And who knows how much that's worth. And like the case study of this is Groot, who's like a character nobody knew about. I mean, right. I, sure. Like a, a niche group. Of how dare you? We've been, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, everyone Years. listening. We to started this podcast to talk 
about Groot. Groot, yes, this was yeah. the Groot. Is that the? That's right. So, yeah. um, you know, but like, is now worth billions of dollars? Like, who knows? Yeah. And so, just like, it's impossible to value one of these IP assets at the moment. So this is, opens up the other door, which again, I'm sure lots of all of your listeners will know about, which is, uh, you know, public domain characters. There was this giant boom of comic book superheroes uh, in the golden age of, of comic books. Most of those companies went under and most of them didn't care. But most of the characters were, were bad. And so they didn't care and they didn't uh, keep up the copyright. And so those fall into the public domain. And you can never own something in the public domain. Like by definition, no one owns it. All of us own it. But uh, as we learn in the series, if you make enough tweaks, if you like you know, just do it, change the costume, reinvent the story. You can own your version of that character. And that's what we did with Microface. Uh, and that gave us the starting point to then like be a little mini superhero empire of one, which was our goal. In all of the, because there are a lot of public domain characters as well. Yes. Like far more than the uh, 7,000 that Marvel uh, currently um, is. <laughs> you know, uh, the bottom three of close. those are. It's close. Yeah. Yes. Um, so what drew you to Microface? Uh, well, okay. First of all, uh, his face is a is a normal sized face. Um, everyone should know. If, 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 if for for all of you listeners who aren't familiar with Microface, um, Microface was invented in the 1940s by an artist named Alan Ulmer, uh, who was eventually sort of run out of uh, comic books during the the sort of great crackdown and parent backlash. Um, yeah. uh, Microface was one of his favorite characters that he invented, uh, and my, Microface was a uh, normal sized faced person whose face had a microphone on it that's the micro micro ah, face he was so, the um, original podcaster he was the original podcaster wow. and so why would we not try to resurrect <laughs> microface now my colleagues had a lot of resistance about the name and in fact alex segura uh when we presented alex like after telling us he'll never sell us an archie superhero uh did tell us like if we do find something he'll write it for us and so we brought him microface Smart. on tape of course you can hear us bringing him microface we didn't tell him anything and uh he heard the name and i believe his quote was that is an unfortunate name so <laughs> that is for for those of you transcribing that is lip smack breath that is <laughs> yeah. the breath um, is important alex tells it like it is it was great and like but I, you know in my mind that was perfect like the name is so bad it's so good it's just great and um we really fell in love with this character. Like, you know, it's, he's silly, but he's, uh, he does have all of these microphone powers. If we we're going to be recreating this character in an audio fashion at any point during this series, like that was great. Cause he had these effects where he could throw his voice and disguise his voice. And so like, we know we can play with those things. So it's just like a no brainer. And then we, we did have this moment of like kind of panic where we're like, we can do anything we want with this character legally, but like, does Alan Ulmer, Alan Ulmer who had died, does he have any living relatives? And like, are they cool with this? Cause like, if they hate this project, like, are we really going to be jerks and just like go and be like, ah, sorry, can't do anything right. about it. And, um, we got a, we got a hold of, uh, Alan's oldest daughter, uh, Peggy Laux. And, uh, there was like this very tense moment where we we're like, so we're going to like, kind of take this thing and run with it. Like, as, or is, is this okay with you? And it's like, she was like, yes, I love it. I'll be the first person to buy a t-shirt. And she has nice. been a hundred percent. We're like, That's you don't so need awesome. to buy it. We'll send you a t-shirt. So Peggy, uh, Peggy has been a huge part of this and has been our kind of like beating heart of this series. We go back to it often. Uh, I'll tell you what, that is 1000% more respectful than anything that Marvel or DC yes, does exactly. with any of their IP. Mm -hmm. Where We talk mm -hmm. to the creators and they're like, yeah, we didn't know. I was in the theater that I saw my character on <laughs> screen. Yeah. And I was like, hey, am I going to get a check for that? What's going on? 
Well, but. the only people getting checks for any of this is uh, NPR. So there's everything <laughs> happening here. I mean, we did, we obviously paid everybody who works sure. on a comic book. Right. Um, but everything, like literally I am work for hire on this. Like everybody involved with this is work mm -hmm. for hire. And, um, you know, what's different here is we're not a giant corporation uh, making gazillion dollar movies. Um, everything is going to NPR. So it is uh, not technically a donation because you can't write off buying any of this stuff but all of the money from this does go to npr so it does go to support oh, programs like awesome. that's great uh so once you had kind of cleared the rights by the descendants what was involved in it next what was like the next step in terms of actually fleshing this out talking to alex yeah i mean this was my favorite concept. part of this project and it was like talking through alex what the options are for reviving a character and you know i i may casual comic book fan and reader like read a ton as a kid in the 90s and then dropped off for a while and have picked up again but like i guess i just kind of missed the various paths and alex is so good at succinctly talking about this and he just sort of he's like he's like there's kind of three paths if you want to we can pick one like we can pick up in 1943 with like the last episode of uh, the last issue of microface and we could do that um we can completely reboot it and pretend like nothing ever happened and that obviously was like not appealing because we love the history of the character so much and then he was like there's the leg the, the legacy sequel is the other thing mm. we can do and so it, like it can pick up with uh with the son with the if, if it picks up contemporarily it would be uh the grandson and that's what we that's what we ended up doing and i uh, that was so it was fun to talk through those options it was ton, fun to think like why would that work why wouldn't that work um so in terms of writing the comic book that was the next step. But what I should say is that there is a little cynical string through this project, which is before we had even written the comic book, like it was off to get written, we did start immediately trying to monetize and uh, mm. license the character, uh, both intellectually curiously, but also maybe a little cynically towards the, like what is happening right now in the, in the larger IP economy. Uh, well, and, and this and, is where, yeah. by the way, this is where the... Uh, aged gouda cheese uh licensing deal comes in i'm holding up a piece of aged gouda cheese Ooh, nice we got some uh cheese close to exp expiration and just throw some uh branding on it i guess that's what aged is i guess i don't know yeah. um how yeah. uh, sorry i know justin's about to ask a question i can tell but how is the cheese is it good oh it's spectacularly good yeah okay. it's so good and the people the the guy who licensed microface for this cheese um uh, runs a winery, but they've decided they're not in the cheese business anymore. So you literally can't get this cheese anymore. This might be the last block of microface cheese. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Save it for a good party. I am. Uh, I'm saving it for a special occasion. Now it's it's like that that question of like, what is special enough for the last? <laughs> what is a <laughs> microface worthy uh, gathering? That's true. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to ask, um, so Planet Money is a, uh, a podcast that sort of breaks down complex economic ideas and make them entertaining. I love love listening. Um, so what was sort of the core economic thing you were chasing? Is it the taking something that was inherently valueless and trying to pull it toward that I infinite value, quote unquote, of like a Marvel IP character? I, I think it be I think it became that. But I think initially the thing we wanted to try and quixotically run at was was this IPification of not just our entertainment industry, but like kind of everything to some degree. Um and so we wanted to just get some skin in the game to like help our audience along in that. It, 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 it helps a lot. Like one of the tricks we've learned is that like if we did a pro a three episode profile of um, of, you know, the rise of Groot, that might be good. But there is something that is like just easier to invest in when it's like our version of Groot. And it's like 
all of our character. Like, I don't own Microphase. Like, I guess NPR owns this version of Microphase technically, but like, it is our project. And so the skin in the game approach is something that we ha- we do a lot of Planet Money. And um, uh, and it also just kind of, you know, these a lot of these things that we're trying to tackle are so big that it's just like, I don't even know where to start. And so if you just pick a project, you're like, well, I have to start here. If my goal is to get a superhero from Marvel, like there are only, there are a finite number of steps that I'm going to take to try and do that. And then we will need to do something else if they say no. Um, and so it just helps kind of limit the the sort of, set of things that we need to do but so that was the first idea like get our hands around what has happened to hollywood to um like to to just entertainment in general um so it was definitely entertainment bent yeah that's right poor poor brains (laughs) poor poor brains um but then as we went you know it becomes about uh it becomes about the public domain which is truly one of the like most clever thoughtful parts of our copyright system it's like very intentional um it's 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 built to to uh, give a second life to creative works um so you get this period where you get to own a thing and that is in theory supposed to supposed to spawn creativity because it's like why would i create why do i spend all this time creating something if i don't get to monetize it for a period of time and we're like that's great that's fine but we do feel like after a certain amount of time as a you know, as a civilization that other people should be able to take that and then spin that off. And that's also very intentional. And so that's great to talk about. Um, uh, and then license, like, you know, license tr- tr- trademark became a, a big thing for us. Like copyright and trademark are very different. Uh, and uh, while nobody can own microface the copyright, especially to the original character, um, the trademark is up for grabs. Anybody can do it. And in fact, somebody, a, a very savvy listener uh, beat us to the, soda <laughs> trademark right yeah and then oh, when wow. we were looking for licensing deals they basically shook us down in a wonderful like in a like a wonderful charming <sighs> way where they're like well if you don't work with us on this soda then you can't make a soda um and that was when we were like but we can make official planet money superhero soda uh that doesn't say microface on it which is what we did uh, there we so go. um it, yeah it got us into the world of intellectual property um into copyright into into uh into licensing agreements um but it is also but you know as as you have heard it also launched us into the world of comic book publishing which was a thing that we never really thought we would be exploring or trying to understand it's so hard to make a comic book i can't believe anybody makes a comic book it is <laughs> so <laughs> hard yeah. um I, I mean i just want to mention just to give you guys like a little bit of big ups on that episode in particular the last episode where you're making it i know i described it as a horror show but i legitimately think anybody who wants to make a comic should listen to that episode because the amount of mistakes that you guys make are so yeah, instructional on the way yeah, that you explain a lot of it mis- yeah mistakes. it's a lot of mistakes but it, it is very instructional in terms of the things you don't think of like page count for example that, that's a huge issue yeah it it, it one of the one of the um one of the ideas that we were thinking about through this series it actually kind of never got in there was like how comic books had started as the product um you know in 1920s 1930s starts as the product and has now evolved into like certainly for many many people it still is the product but the cynical sort of where are the billions of dollars going like movie studios view comics as like super cheap research and development. Um, yeah. You canonize a character and a plot line by throwing it in a comic book. And like that has a certain, again, it's like that patina that you can't recreate. And it's, it's very powerful. And in theory, it is a super cheap way to research and develop something when you compare it to a $200 million movie. Um, but yeah. what surprised us was like, it still is pretty expensive when you're a podcast trying to do it. And it isn't so cheap that you can just like add 20 pages and be like, who cares? It's just like 20 more pages. Like what, like, who cares? Um, it will mess everything up. And it is like a fine tuned machine. The 
the, the amazing groups of people who come together for these brief, wonderful moments to make a comic book. Um, and yeah, you can't just throw 20 extra pages at somebody who signed up for 24 pages. Uh, they will need to stop working on your comic is the thing we learned, which is fair. Totally fair. Totally fair. Uh, I love that part, though. And I also uh, love the idea that like, like you're lying out here you can make a lot of money potentially out of the IP and the merchandising and all of these things that I think we've been to so many comic cons. We've interviewed so many people that are like that where they start with the action figure and the soda and the Gouda cheese and all these things. Yeah. That's what they got. And you talk to them and I don't want to speak for you, Justin, but when we're interviewing these folks, you know, in the back of their head, you're like, they're not going to make the comic. They're not going to make the comic. <laughs> <laughs> and they made the cheese I, first. Yeah, yeah, they made the cheese first. But the the other thing that really comes through in the so, podcast... So are you, you're you saying that they're... Like, the idea of just, like, I've created a character, start licensing it, worry about... Like, we'll, we'll make a comic eventually. This does happen? Like, we're not... We thought we were just the first. We no, the first. I, I think, like, think more than you'd think. Like, there's always, they'll have, like, a, an ash can or something like that, like a boilerplate. Like, here's eight pages, here's the preview, or eventually it comes out, but it's the sh shittiest comic book you've ever read <laughs> in your entire life. And it's all about, all they're aiming for is to be oh, at Comic-Con, so to be at the bar, sell it to people, that's all they want. Well, because it's, it is an investment to sort of maybe bring these themes together. Yeah. Like, for a lot of people, they're like, I see people doing this. I know I can make a good character. I'm not a writer. I don't right. know an artist. But I do know that uh, if I put this character on a hacky sack, that's one step closer to selling 50 hacky sacks. And then, like, it's, they see the business before they see the creative side, which I feel like that's almost everything now. It is true. It is a little bit everything. And I think we, we didn't, like, set out to to like point to the character and then start to be the dark it. side of creativity <laughs> I mean, we, it was a little bit just because it was like oh the comic book's gonna take a while so i guess like let's do this next series where we like now that we have this character let's do this but it you know maybe but i love that about it because i think that. you're chasing what so much of the comic yeah. book industry and sort of industry as a whole is like i don't need to focus on the product i need to get the branding right i need to get right. social media right before and I'll, that'll solve itself and i think it's just so backwards from how we got to where we are as a creative culture it's definitely true and like the stories that are being mined successfully for the big screen and for now for like disney plus and stuff like those are rooted in really really good art that was meant to be good art as a comic book or, or you know whatever art stories like, who knows what the intention was but it like clearly is rooted in very good stories that existed already and there are smart people who know which ones to mine i mean we use this allegory like we use this metaphor of mining like it it felt to us like marvel was mining some rare earth mineral yeah and like throwing it into some like marvel factory and we opened the series with this like really weird like made up imagined sort of metaphorics metaphorical scene of like the marvel machine mining up these old characters um including yeah including the one that we tried to buy from them which is doorman which i have now learned is part of uh some avengers team i'm sorry i don't know all this uh, west coast avengers which is a big deal and i now learned they would have never sold us to that even if he weren't the most amazing dumb character ever but he what? rules and i'm sad and it's also funny great because Mar yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, as Kevin the West Coast, out, so Great Lakes Avengers shows up great in Lakes. West Coast Avengers. Is that right? Yeah, Great Lakes Avengers yes. guest starred, but then they had their own spinoff series, and they are purposefully stupid, but also uh, yes. I yes. love them. Of course, uh, uh, I have. But also I feel like the, the reason Marvel sort of landed where they did is because they messed up by licensing off their biggest characters. Yes. So when they started there, they ended up with like, well, let's see if we can turn Iron Man into a star, and it yeah, worked. Yeah, it it's uh, totally true, and um. 
is is an incredible part of the story. We, we've we recently did a version of of that around the Spider Man problem. Um, it was not part of this. I mean, it was adjacent to this series. Like, it's not branded as part of our. Mm-hmm. But yes, that's right. Like, um, creating creating these like creating these properties from existing characters. I, I mean, I would argue the Iron Man thing is like proof of the patina thing, where it's just like something magical happens when the character already existed. And it was like the reason we fought other, like people were suggesting throughout the series, like sometimes editors, sometimes um, colleagues were like, why don't you just make a character? I'm like, it just, it's not, it doesn't, it's not the same. It just doesn't, Yeah. like mm-hmm. there's something magical about about it existing. And I feel like, you know, the, the James Gunn Suicide Squad movie, like, like, like took that to 11 where it's like yeah. the 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 art and the glory is going and finding the strangest characters and being like this was real this was real um yeah it's great it's really great uh so what's the next step are you looking to make the um uh, big budget jump uh do you have dream casting for microface uh, i do have i do have some i mean my dream cast for microface is uh oscar isaac but um because the uh, new microface okay. alex you know alex segura rewrote the story and he he pulled on some of his cuban american heritage and um mm-hmm. so the, the sam salazar is the new microface mm-hmm. um so oscar isaac would be dream like that feels um doable definitely right like he's yeah. gettable at this point yeah um he's it not is, doing anything we 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 did have somebody um there's a there's a great film producer uh named Chiked Berenson who uh who is in the process of licensing the character I, I I I am not like plugged into where he is with the NPR lawyers um we featured him on one of our episodes uh interested in licensing and licensing the character for a movie or optioning it and uh it may happen. It may, you know, most movie options don't turn into movies. This one seems like it would be very hard to turn into a movie, but um, it was useful to talk about film options. I will say that. Yeah. And well, is great. And if anybody can do it, he can do it. He's made, he's helped produce some of the um, most unlikely movies uh, you will ever have heard of, including one called Big Ass Spiders. Uh, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, Slacks, which is an amazing horror movie that recently uh, came out on Shudder. Um, lots of things that you would not think are movies that are movies. And it's like, if, if if nothing else, that is what Microface is. <laughs> well, and I think to get it to the big screen and to sort of approach that high value IP, that truly is the best show show version of this, uh, yes, of this project. I, I mean, it would be in, the this, amazing combination. in this yeah. scenario where Microface does become a big budget movie and it makes like a billion dollars at the box office, does that also all go back to NPR? <laughs> well, I guess it depends on the option, right? Like, oh, yeah, I'm sure... Work the deal. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, but I own none of it. So like, I, I we even talked about this. I was, uh, Shaked was like, you know, you would have, it would have to be one of those things where you're, like, you're brought on as consultant. Like, that's the best we can do. Um, and I was like, all right, well, I can bring the water in for like, you want to pay me $10,000. <laughs> or the cheese. Like, you can bring the cheese to the meeting. Bring the cheese. I have that's the, the last premiere of, of, of Microface. The, the feature film is a great way to use that. Just it would be a good way to a use nice this cheese. I, snack on it in the audience. It's it the the um the ownership of the character is an interesting one because it's like I do think about this a lot, which is like if I Kenny Malone just found Microface and started talking about him on my own personal podcast, like none of this would have happened and we wouldn't have sold. I think we were up to like I don't know 15, 16, 17,000 comic books. Like that wouldn't have happened. So there is a question of who is imbuing the character with value, and there's I think the answer is very interesting and very complicated. Like. Obviously, Alan Ulmer imbued this character with value by creating it. Um, obviously, uh, Alex Gura and Jamal Agle and Jerry Ordway um, imbued the character with 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 value. Um, uh, obviously, the giant microphone that is NPR imbued this character with value yeah. by letting us talking about it. And it's like, 
who imbues it with the most? Like, does that matter with ownership? Um, it's really interesting and complicated. Um, but I think in this case, it is. It sort of spells itself out pretty well. Like the move, the the character was was functionally optioned before there was a comic book. So sort of easy to sort of say like planet money is the one that's imbuing it with value um not me kenny malone not my collaborator robert smith who was also talking about it so it was like a lot of the value up front at least was clearly that we were talking about it on a big podcast um and I, I just want to mention, I mean, you probably know this, but for anybody listening out there, not that they usually share exact figures, would you mention that you sold 16 or 17,000 copies of it? That's more than most Marvel and DC comics sell. I was trying to pin that yeah. down. It was hard to find their numbers yeah. for stuff. So I would have loved the... to be able to be like, we outsold so-and-so, but, Do you like, know, but I can't. You're, uh, the fun fact about comic sales. So yeah, they, they are based on... Uh, there's a comic index and it's based on numbers of Batmans that you sell. What? It's the, way, it's the craziest thing in the oh, entire that's world. Good. Oh so God. sometimes they'll release this, exact figures. This is, a, this is definitely going in the story doc. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I was it's gonna like, say, no it's promises, perfect. but like, it's definitely on the um, I always now. forget yeah. exactly how it works, but essentially like the way that the comic book industry is standardized things is Batman sells almost exactly the same number of comics every month after month. This is the most stable IP, I think. Yeah, exactly. So Batman is kind of, I don't, Batman is 100, right? Is that what it is? And then yeah, everything. Yeah, sure. That'd be, that'd be 100. That's right. Yeah, so that's 100%. And then anything else is just a percentage of Batmans. So, so if you see I, something. So every number I see is X times that store's Batman sales. Uh, like, times total Batman whole, sales. Total Batman sales. And then the other part of it is it's not actual <laughs> Batman sales because it's oh, not good. people buying Batman. It's stores buying Batman because the oh, stores oh, will pre-order the copies and oh, then see. they might not sell all of them. They might sell them back. So it's like stores and that's not taken into the like the number they sell back isn't taken into the index. No. So, no, so it really is like expectation of Batman sales. Right. Exactly. So what it's like happens the bat is the signal going yeah. into the sky. Oh, so then, yeah. And then there's times where like Batman does. marries Catwoman. That blasts the whole index to hell. Oh, and then it makes your look, book look like it sold shit. Cause, exactly. Because how can you compete yeah. with that? Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, so it, it's that's the wildest the thing. Story, in the story doc, for sure. Like, I am going to pitch that. <laughs> that's so fun. I love that. That's cool. And uh, yeah. So so you've been selling well, I guess, is the short version. Because yeah, I have that, heard, that, like, image comics, I think, generally are like, some of them, like, you get a Walking Dead was selling regularly 100,000 copies or something. Whoa. Because they do want to talk about that. It's wild. But... Most image comics, most uh, publishers that are not Marvel DC, it's like 5,000, 10,000 copies, I would say, per month. Does that sound about right, Justin? Yeah, maybe a little more than that, I would yeah, think. But I think that's maybe. ballpark. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. You know, I mean, if you the, – the, the thing to take into consideration here would be like – uh, obviously, we weren't doing this as an advertisement for our comic book, but if you did convert the amount of time we've been talking about this comic book on Planet Money to like how much that would have cost to get out there, like I'm sure sh I'm sure it's not. Uh, I, I wonder if it would like if Marvel blanketed our airwaves trying to pitch one comic book that was very special, like I I'm sure they would kick our ass. Um but like, well, that's well, why. I mean, I mean, that's the other thing that happens is like when Marvel kills off Captain America. That's why they yes. let NPR know two days early. That's why they yeah, let right. and New York yeah. Times know two days early because they want to blanket the airwaves. They yeah, and famously, when launching a new character, you'd often throw a Spider-Man or a popular character into the first issue. So I guess we're really seeing that the best crossover possible out there done that. is with NPR. And uh, it's true. the That's ultimate right. crossover character. That's right. Let me say it now. Microface probably available for crossovers. Um, 
the legal thicket that you are entering, I cannot, uh, I don't know. I'm not the NPR lawyers and I don't own the character. So uh, you may have a lot of fun emails. I will say some of the most fun work emails I've ever gotten are with, um, there's, I'm, I'm sort of jokingly bad-mouthing the NPR lawyers. That's not fair. They're very fun. And like, um, you know, Alex wanted to, Alex, <laughs> no, I really, I'm serious. I'm very, I'm very serious about this. Um, Alex wanted to put a bunch of public domain characters in. And so like, we had to put it to the NPR lawyer to like check all of them. And so I just got this email and it was like, I'm going to mess up all these names, but it was like, uh, I'll make some up. It was like, um, gray dog. Okay. Uh, yellow, you know, yellow wasp. Fine. Uh, maybe don't use bird flower. And it was just like, this is the greatest work email ever. <laughs> it was all very serious. Uh, it was awesome. Oh man, that's yeah. amazing. So that all said, if people want to check out the series, of course, they can check out Planet Money wherever podcasts are. But Microface, you can actually still get the comic book. On yeah, the I NPR suspect shop, we'll just right? kind of keep, I think we'll probably keep printing it. Definitely the hardest part was, I will say this, it's hard to start printing a comic. Like I'm sure many of you have run into this if you've tried to do your own. Like uh, nobody trusts you as a person who wants to print a comic. They're like, we don't trust you. You need to pay us up front. And then and we're like, we don't, Apparently NPR doesn't pay up front to vendors because because uh, that's, oh, that's, that's not how normal stuff gets made. And so there was yeah. like this 11th hour gridlock. And apparently I was the one who had okayed payment up front. I didn't realize I had done it. And I was just oh. like, I have, no, I have no authority to do that. But I guess I had done it. Um, yeah. So it was hard to get it started. But yes, now that it's set up, like it's pretty easy for us to print more copies, I think. Um, so yeah, the... Um, I don't know if the uh, so the main the, the the main cover by Jerry Ordway is definitely still available. Um, I'm holding it up for the podcasting audience at home. Yes. Um, and then there is a variant cover by Jamal Eigel um, that is embossed, um, partly because I was a '90s kid, and a little partly eventually to spite Alex Segura, who hates '90s comic book stuff. <laughs> but, um, and I was and I made sure his name was embossed. I just want to say. Uh, oh, the ultimate uh, bird for Segura. That's great. <laughs> he did it. He did come around. He's like, it was tastefully embossed. I was like, it's great. <laughs> um, so no, he's uh, he's the greatest. And so um, that may still be available. I don't know if we sold out of that, and I'm not sure we're going to rerun that. It's not our intention to like limit it to some number, but it's kind of a pain in the ass to do more. Elevates the value to create uh, to, to limit that. Well, so we did we did do a live show. This is, oh, by the way, if you want to hear the series, the easiest, like, it's not going to be easy to scroll through our feed and, like, pick them out. So the easiest way to find them all is if you go to npr.org slash superhero. Mm. Um, and that will have the rundown of the series, um, starting with the first episode. Um, one of our most recent episodes was an episode where we tried to uh, take our comic book and turn it into the most collectible item ever created by mankind, um, which, you know certainly reasonable to do um we did that by like looking at all of the greatest moments in comics collectibles history and then took some inspiration from um, baseball cards which really went off the rails in the 90s in a wonderful way um uh, they came yeah. up with even crazier stuff and then we just did all of those things all of the things that the uh, comic books and baseball cards came up with we tried to do all of them to one comic and even more and um we did that and then we auctioned it off and um you can hear how that goes awesome that's, That's so awesome. cool. Kenny, thank you so much for coming on. This is such a cool project. Everybody should go listen to it. Uh, it's the best. I will see you at the Microface film premiere. Yeah, we'll all be yeah. at the film premiere. We'll all wear uh, full face masks, which I have also learned is not good for uh, comic book characters because they can't use <laughs> themselves. But I'll tell you what, we'll all share that cheese. It'll be a good Yes, day. we can all eat this one piece <laughs> of cheese. Yeah. Hold on to that cheese. <laughs> um, Kenny. Thank you all so much. Like, I can't tell you how fun this was for me to do this is way uh, it's fun. great hearing explaining t-bills t-bills less interesting than microface yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right have a good night kenny thanks everybody
later. All That's right, again, I love that. It's so cool. So cool. Planet Money is a great podcast if you are at all interested in how um, the economy works, especially the little uh, sort of uh, side track trips they take into the weirder parts. Yes, and this is a super fun series. Like I was saying earlier, that last episode, though, just knowing what they were going to do wrong before they say it was so stressful, but so much fun to listen to. And, you know, I was thinking immediately afterwards that we have folks on here all the time talking about, like, I'm doing my first Kickstarter campaign and I don't know what I'm in for. Listen to this half-hour podcast and you'll get past at least five of those mistakes you make right off, which is very cool. It's very instructional. That's great, yeah. Hello, film fans. We are the Film vs. Film podcast. My name is Martin Harris, the host, and I'm always joined by the film encyclopedia man, Boaz Dix. We are a couple of filmmakers on occasion, but mainly can't stop yapping about movies. On this podcast, every episode, we pick a topic from a film that's coming out at the cinema or on streaming. Myself and Boaz pick our favourite film from that topic or team up against a guest and battle it out to decide which film will become the greatest film of all time, according to two film geeks from Wiltshire, England. We release our episodes every other Saturday, plus bonus spoiler special episodes about new films we love. You can find us anywhere on your favourite podcasting app. Remember, please do subscribe. Pod Trailer, signing off. All right, we're going to move on to our next section, which is my favorite section, because you all make it up. It's your audience question. Yeah! And for audience questions, all you got to do is drop a question and ask a question, or in the comments on YouTube. Uh, Justin, what you drinking? Uh, great question. Um, I uh, uh, am in Alberta, Canada, up in Edmonton, um, so I've been drinking some local beer. Um, I found this one. It's not usually my type, but I'm drinking anyway. Shout out to Alex. I'm drinking the Mango Lorian, a Ooh. mango ale. <laughs> oh, and I'll that's tell you awesome. what, it's, it's a sipper. <laughs> it's a real <laughs> sipper. It's like someone melted a creamsicle into a Bud Light. And you hate that. You You're hate- right. <laughs> it's good if you like this. Uh, no knock to the Alley Cat Brewery here in Alberta. It's just not my... And it's the Mangalorian. Does it taste like uh, Grogu's Piss or like what's going on? Uh, yeah, there's a, a smaller uh, beer hovering right next to this one. That I, I'm hoping it's going to be really much better. Nice. Uh, Brett Macris, our CBC chef, Stray Bullies, as Pete likes to say, he's off on vacation, and he suggested everybody drink their favorite summer drink. Um, I made a spicy uh, ancho-raised margarita with the chili verde. Good stuff. Very nice. Nice and spicy. I had a michelada um, right before we started, which is my favorite summer drink. Uh, There we go. We both did it. Want to move to some questions here. This is from Kevin. What are some of your favorite stage works Based on inspired by comics. Oh, so many to choose from. <laughs> uh, obviously, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, a fave. Absolutely, yes. Um, I guess that's about it. We did a live, uh, when that came out, on, um, on one of our video shows, we did a stage reading of our version of the Spider-Man musical. Oh, my God, I remember. totally forgot about that. Where we had uh, J. Jonah Jameson come through. It was we did a lot of weirder stuff and less yes. secret quizzes and much more sort of uh, larger performative. Uh, yeah, things. I mean, I'm always partial to. Well. We did a live stage reading of curse words on a cruise ship yes. when we were on there. That was very fun. That was very fun. Um, definitely worth. It. Is that did that ever make it to our feed? No, I sent it to Charles. 
and the audio was like very scratchy because we got it through the feed from the boat. Surprisingly, boat not a uh, not good audio. But Can't run it through that outboard engine that was fueling that cruise ship. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'll throw out one other. This isn't exactly a comic book based, and this is a very deep cut, but there's this musical called Starmites that was inspired by comic books without actually being based on a comic book. I remember I was a little kid. My grandma took me, and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And then <laughs> like, we did it in high school, and I got cast in my favorite part in the show, and I was like, this is the best show I've ever seen. And then I listened to it later years later, and I was like, this is not good. Uh, Starbucks doesn't really hit. Um, no. uh, in the comments, uh, Kenny Malone uh, says there is a Microface musical. Oh, These that's guys right. are they did that at the time. live show, I believe. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, all right. Why don't we cool. move on? We got another question here. This is from Michael Tillman. What's your pick for the least tastefully embossed comic book cover? Uh, great question. I mean, hearing, thinking about 90s uh, comic uh, cover tropes with the. Triple gatefolds, hologram inset. I feel like there was a lot of Wolverines with the with slashes cut out of the cover mm-hmm. on sort of the thicker cardboard. Um, I mean, it's to... not embossed, but the first thing that came to mind was those holographic card uh, X Men covers that they released, which I was obsessed with. I was like, this is the fanciest, most exciting thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I have to have all of these. Um, a comic cover that bothered me was, um, I think it was Robin 2, and they did holographic Joker cards that the Joker was holding in the middle. Uh-huh. And it made the – and the comic cover was so sharp that it was, like, cutting. Uh, I was so worried it was going to go in my eye. I, uh, Josh, I, and I feel H- like, Josh H. is calling out the special editions of the Fatal Attraction series. That was the one where Wolverine's skeleton got ripped out, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like back in the X-Men crossover days, there were like the full holographic version cover that um, was like maybe Executioner's Song. I think they did that and that whole that under bagged, poly bagged with the trading card inside. Oh, yeah. And you're like, well, I got to buy two. <laughs> uh, this is from Eduardo. Has Justin seen Love, Thor Love and Thunder yet? Any quick thoughts? No worries if they are being saved for Marvel Vision. Um, we are going to do a Marvel Vision. I... Uh, I'm going to go see it tomorrow is my mm. plan. But you're seeing so the I Canadian have... version, right? Yes, yes, which um, is going to be polite. much sort of gentle and polite, kind even. <laughs> All right. Well, excited to hear your thoughts on that. we got a couple more here. This one is from Jonathan McCool. Hey, Justin, do you have any suggestions for places I should go to party before I die? How many of these kind of places do you think I should go to? Uh, great question, Jonathan McCool. I mean, uh, I would want to top out at 101, but let me be honest. The first season of this show that I just worked on, we go to eight places, and I took a significant number of years off my life, and I wasn't even – I was consuming slightly off camera. So I was – everyone else was uh, – or the two hosts are on camera. But No, and I know like I, I asked you this, but maybe you can confirm this on the podcast. So, like, it's – you know, they're partying, but they're also like they're drinking, they're eating, they're doing this food. And with any sort of food show, I imagine they're not eating everything. Like they're eating little bits and taking bites and then leaving it. No? They're eating a lot of it. Um, <laughs> okay. But, but uh, no, we don't send food. We don't like, there's no spit bucket, which is something that you see on a lot of sets. They eat all the food or they pass it out. And you'll see as the season goes on, they pass it out to me. They pass it out to the camera guys. <laughs> the camera guys, there's, uh, they did a, the camera guys are all hung over. Uh, in the next episode, Miami, this is a little preview. 
we sit down for at this uh, deli, Kush Deli, um, which is great in Miami. And it's a, a, a Jewish deli um, owned by a Cuban uh, family. So it's like mm. there's a sandwich called the Juban. Very good. Uh, anyway, uh, we get there and uh, Pally's like, you know what? Everyone's looking a little hungover today. Can I get Bloody Marys for the camera guys? And it happens. We all were partying pretty hard. Uh, that's um, very fun. But we said if we end up doing 101 places, we will be doing this. The, both the hosts turned 40 this year. Mm-hmm. At 50, going around partying in different cities, <laughs> it's going to look and feel a lot different. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we got one last one here. This is from Eduardo. Any opinions on annuals? Do you usually enjoy them, find them skippable? Any favorites? Uh, great question. I love annuals. Um, I love them more when they were sort of a separate thing um Mm -hmm. something that felt special like back in the 90s the marvel crossover annuals i really enjoyed them i've said this a lot vibranium vendetta um the uh, corvax saga um uh, what like there were a ton of them so i love those because they feel special and the stories i think get to be a little weirder and less obsessed with continuity uh but i also love um, when dc did the elseworlds annuals where the whole line just did an, an Elseworld story and there were just they had time because it was annual and there were more pages they had the time to really explore the idea rather than just just being something that felt either too short or way too big it felt like mm-hmm. a great just short story featuring batman as a pirate or uh, or any other sort of genre lay on it's modern day annuals are hard for me to get a handle on like you're saying i feel like Back in the day, they were the sort of thing because you were getting comics every month after month at the same length on this rhythm. It was this thing that really like broke up the rhythm. It felt like a birthday party for a month or something like that. Yeah. And now comic links, like we were talking with Kenny about earlier, but like they are all over the place. You are getting comics that are a regular 20 to 24 pages, but sometimes you're getting 40 pages, 50 pages. A lot of the DC comics now between the front stories and the back stories are regularly 40 pages regardless. So yeah. it, and then they're releasing these 80 page giants all the time. So I'm not sure what the point of also releasing an annual is other than have a little more page space for something to happen. So if they were to go back to that, like you're saying, I'd love to have something that runs through as an annual, comes out like in a very small period of time, but the entire yeah. industry would have to change in order for that to work, you know? Well, and uh, Jonathan Hickman, I think last year did some X-Men annuals and they did feel a little bit different, but they also felt like the most tied to the continuity <laughs> yeah. of any of the X-Men stories. So I was like, you're sort of breaking my brain with this being simultaneously what I'm asking for in an annual but also way more essential to the main continuity that where you're not covering this. Yeah. Uh, but I, like you were saying, I love that stuff. Like the evolutionary war, I think you called out the serpent saga and things like that. Like that was super fun. Uh, and it felt big and it felt exciting, but I don't know if we have a need for them anymore. Yeah. And it was weird mixes of characters and, and stuff. Um, a couple of quick questions in over in the comments here. Mm. Um, uh, what co- Edmonton comic book shops has Justin hit up? There's a place called Wizard um, that uh, one of my co-hosts on Characters Welcome, Michael Hartley, went to um, yesterday and found a ton of great old Superman books. So I'm going to head over there um, uh, tomorrow morning and check that out. And then uh, McLaugh says there's a comic shop variant edition in the West End Mall, which is uh, Edmonton is known for the second largest fringe festival and the largest mall, I think, in the whole uh, world. Or I guess maybe Mall of America is. If there was a way of combining them, that would be awesome. Yeah. Fringe Mall. 
There you go. Um, oh, we got one more question that just popped up here. This is from Nick Grayson. What's a small troop or tradition that you love, i.e. Spider-Man's costume getting shredded or the fastball special? Oh, great. Fastball special is a great one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that can never happen again because they're just not around each other much. Yeah. Uh, Colossus and Wolverine. I feel like my favorite stupid one is Matches Malone, which is the funniest thing to me. Like I, lo- I love what do you I love when Matches awesome. Malone comes up, but it's so dumb that Bruce Wayne, one of the most famous people in Gotham City, is like, I'm gonna put on a mustache and put a toothpick in my mouth. Nobody recognizes me. <laughs> you know, hey, Bruce it's Wayne. me. I'm not a Bruce Wayne, I'm Matches Malone. No, so Bruce funny. Wayne would never have a toothpick. He'll pick up an hors d'oeuvre with a toothpick and then tastefully set it back down on the tray. You've seen what we do in the shadows, right? Jackie yeah. Daytona, regular human bartender, is basically Matches Malone. It's yeah. the same thing. I will say, though, in the animated series, Matches Malone was fantastic. Yeah. They made it work. The comics, it, it, that that to me, my other like favorite ridiculous trope with Batman is what he's wearing in disguise. <laughs> and he takes off his mask and he's wearing his Batman mask under this mask, which I have to imagine anybody, any of the villains would be like, oh, what's up with those lumps on your head? Like, you have some yeah. weird lumps sticking out of your head there. Well, that that very much happens in the one of the best episodes, Almost Got Him, where he's dressed as, I think, Killer Croc. And he pulls it <laughs> off, he's got the Batman ears. I was like, okay, I don't know how that works. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, Superman changing in a phone booth, we haven't seen that in a long time. Uh that's very fun and very like uh, this man who is very super powered. And he's like, I'll just pop in over here. No one will notice. Me so around. I'll tell you what, my son, this is very side to it, but my seven year old has been obsessed with DC stuff. He's been watching Teen Titans go on a loop. So he's been peppering me about questions about the DC universe constantly. He got very interested in which live action movies he could watch and can't watch. And he's like, so I can't watch the dark Knight movies. Right. I was like, no, you definitely should not watch them. <laughs> but we watched the original Superman movie and I forgot there's a, such a great subtle bit in there. The first time Clark Kent really reveals himself as Superman. When Lois is in the helicopter crash, on the top of the Daily Planet, and she's screaming, and people are looking up, and Clark Kent comes out, and he looks up, and he walks over to a phone booth, but it's one of those phone booths that's like a half phone booth, right. and he just sort of stares at her, he's like, <sighs> and then walks over to a revolving door, which is unnecessary, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> so much fun. It's just a, a fun little bit. I love that stuff because it just shows the time and place when people were creating comic book characters. They were walking the streets of New York and be like, eh, phone booth. Hey, how about revolving door this time? Just very much like this is the way yeah. he does it. One last trope, though, is the bat signal. I want to see just a quick, short, maybe a two-panel comic where Batman's like, hey, man, just text me. Yeah. It's this fun. feels expensive <laughs> and uh, sort of obvious when it, from a criminal standpoint. It's sort of giving away the game exactly. that I'm on the case. I agree. And thank you all for your audience questions. Now, our next section is trivia. Usually, I'm going to imagine you didn't prepare any trivia, Justin. I didn't prepare any trivia. So here's what I was thinking. Usually, we do it for $25 to Midtown Comics. Instead, good friend of the show, David Gallagher, who you might know from his comic book work. Um, This is... Kind of rough to say out loud, but uh, got assaulted in Brooklyn and is having trouble raising money for some surgery that he needs. So we're going to donate money towards that instead today. If you want to do that as well, 
Uh, it's kind of a long URL, but I'll mention it here. GoFundMe.com slash F slash medical dash bills dash following dash Brooklyn dash assault. We'll donate the money to go help him. He's very close to his $23,500 goal. Right now he's at a little over $22,000. Um, so any little money can help there. Good guy. Great guy. Creative situation. High Moon back in the Zuda comics days. Yeah, so we're going to do that. And uh, before we wrap up here, then, why don't we talk about what's coming out this week? Justin, tons of comics coming out. What are you looking forward to? There are. I mean, it's almost as if we're going to talk about, like, a shocking amount of comics in our other Mm -hmm. uh, podcasts that we do. Um, I guess I'm going to go for, I mean, just a little on on topic, uh, the Alien Annual from Marvel Mm. by uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson. Salvador LaRocca is, um, is, it looks like it's going to be awesome. I've loved the alien comics that um, they've been doing over there uh, that capture the tone and the look and the dread and still feel like they're not just like doing an homage to the best parts of the movies. Yeah, like you said, tons and tons of stuff coming out. Two that I will shout out. One is Defenders Beyond, number one, by Al Ewing and Javier Rodriguez. I will read literally anything that Javier Rodriguez draws. Like I like the first defender series. Al Ewing did a good job there, but man, it's Javier Rodriguez is the real star for me. So I'm very excited about that. And the other one that I'm excited we're going to be talking about on the stack is faithless three, number six from Brian Azarello and Maria. Love it. This is a really fucked up sex book that Pete always gets very upset about us talking about. I feel like I saw this on the stack and I was like, oh, Alex knows Pete's not here. And he's exactly it's it the in. last issue of three runs. And I think both of you and I liked it. So I'm curious to yeah. see how it all ties up. We can finally and talk. And when about I was it. reading comics, I was on a plane and I couldn't read that one. So <laughs> nope. I was reading stuff read and my kids were sitting around me and I was like, I'll save that one for later. But um, we're going to. Real quick, I want to shout out, do a powerbomb as well. Oh, yeah. Daniel Warren Johnson's book about, like, wrestling and uh, dealing with uh, loss. And there's a great twist at the end of this issue. Man, it's a good read. So good. We're going to be talking about all those books on our Stack podcast that rolls out in the Comic Book Club feed and its own dedicated Stack feed Wednesday at 9 a.m. So check that out. And, folks... That is it for this week's show. Thank you to our guest, Kenny Malone from Planet Money on NPR. Check out his series on Microface, uh, their series on Microface. That is at npr.org slash superhero. I believe he said the URL is. It's super fun and super instructional. Next week, we're going to have two great guests that are going to be here. Dennis Hopeless is going to be back on the show to talk about his new book, Heart Eyes. So that should be fun. And also, Chris Sabella is going to be here to talk about Oni Press's Blink. So that should be awesome and lots of fun. Also, let's hear it for the boys. Our boys podcast wrapped up a little bit ago, but you can check out all of season three now. Also, Riverdale After Dark, a Riverdale podcast. Things are getting insane in the town of Riverdale. I can't even talk about it without. Yeah. uh, Marvel Vision, our Marvel podcast that we mentioned a little bit earlier. We just finished talking about Miss Marvel. Also, the Doom Room our Doom Patrol podcast rolling out every Thursday and seems like there's an announcement about season four coming soon. So those episodes might be speeded into your feeds yeah. much faster than they are now. you announcements coming, Alex? Yeah, we'll see intense. what happens. I know. I know when they're coming. Yeah. Patreon.com slash comic book club. You can subscribe on Apple, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice at comic book live on Twitter, comic book club live on Instagram, comic book club live.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, good night. Good night, eh?
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.